The big encouragement is that we need to persist in the Word of God. And what we're not looking for is a whole lot necessarily of spectacular or emotionally significant moments. There's no reason that they might not happen, and praise God if they do. But actually the Christian life is one where we are committed to discipline of sitting under the Word and the discipline of living out that Word, not where we're committed to getting a certain feeling from either teaching or listening to the Word. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Tim Patrick. Tim serves as the principal of the Bible College of South Australia, where he teaches theology and practical ministry. Before that, he served in local church ministry for 10 years, and his latest book, co-authored with Andrew Reid, is The Whole Counsel of God, Why and How to Preach the Entire Bible from Crossway. Today, Tim and I discuss how to plan a sermon series. He highlights his own process for conceptualizing, scheduling, and studying for a new series, shares his thoughts on determining the ideal length of a series, and offers advice related to staying on track and in sync when multiple preachers are involved. Let's get started. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the Crossway Podcast today. G'day, Matt. It's really great to be with you. Thank you. So as you think back over your career as a pastor, uh, what would you say has been your most embarrassing moment when it comes to preaching? Yeah, right. Good. I don't know what my most embarrassing is because there's probably a number that I've just blocked out of my memory. (laughs) Uh, But I think of one, um, there was one time I remember preaching in my church on a Sunday. I don't know if it was a good sermon. I don't even know what the sermon was on. Um, But after I'd finished, I came down and I sat in the front row of the church, and uh, just was enjoying the rest of the service, but then looked down at my watch and I thought, goodness me, it's late. And um, I turned to the woman sitting next to me, a fine sister who was part of the music team, and I said to her, why is it so late? What's going on? And she gave me a penetrating glare, uh, not nasty, but just you know, as though she couldn't believe that I didn't know why it was so late. The reason it was so late was because I had preached for like almost an hour and uh, the church had only scheduled half an hour for the sermon and I'd just blown that time right out of the water. Uh, and, you know, I was so embarrassed, not only that I'd done it, but that I was so oblivious to it. Is that is that normal for you? When you're preaching, are you kind of, does time sort of melt away and you're not even aware of, of how long you're going? Uh, well, less so since that occasion. Uh, now I try and keep keep some sense. Although I I don't I don't like the idea of being slavishly tied to the clock. I think there's something a little unhealthy about that. Uh, but as I say, I need to keep that view in check, given that I've um, made a pretty big error in that department in the past. Yeah. So so what would you say then uh, is the ideal length of a sermon? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I'm I'm of the view actually that sermons do have an ideal length, but it's not a uniform length. That is, I don't think all sermons should be a standard length, but the sermon should reflect the passage that the preacher is preaching. That is, in all my preaching, what I strive to do is respect not only the content of the text, but the form of the text. And so if you have a long passage, I think you're going to have a longer sermon. And if you have a short passage, you're going to have a shorter sermon. 
So it's a kind of non-answer, but I think the ideal length for a sermon is the length that the text requires for you to preach it fully and helpfully to the people in the congregation. Describe briefly then what your sermon prep process looks like. So um, you sit down on maybe a Monday or a Tuesday morning to start work on uh, this next Sunday's sermon. Kind of what? How do you approach that? How do you start that? Obviously, assuming you're kind of maybe in a series, so you've got some some background that you've been working with, or you've been preaching through the passage, the book uh, so far. But how do you think about you know next week's sermon on a Monday or Tuesday? Um, I should say in all of this, by the way, currently my role is in a Bible college, so a seminary sort of setting. Uh, I have pastored for ten years, so most of what I'm saying is drawing on that experience of being a regular preacher. I do preach now, but not quite as clockwork as that. Um, But I mean, the first thing to say is my sermon prep is more than what happens in the week before. So uh, when I'm preaching, I know the preaching passages a long way out. Um, Here at the the Bible college where I am, uh, I'll know at least a semester in advance what I'm preaching on in our chapel. Uh, And when in the church, I would know a year in advance, perhaps more what was coming up. And what that means is the first part of preparation is actually, it's not something that's got lots of strict rules or shape around it, but it's that, that long extended period of mulling and chewing and thinking over the text in the background. So if I'm Uh, preaching, I don't know, say through, uh, just say 1 Thessalonians, for example, Um, I will have been conscious that I would be preaching through 1 Thessalonians for a long time and uh, will have been thinking about the shape of 1 Thessalonians and the shape of its different passages, um, the key points that each passage has. Maybe uh, as I've been um, aware that this sermon's coming up, uh, I will have been um, just had half an ear tuned to to points that might be relevant in terms of illustrations or so on. So by the time I actually come to put pen to paper, I've had this sermon bouncing around in my head at some level for quite some time. Uh, And then when I sit down, it's a case of gathering all of those thoughts, many of which I will have jotted down in a a notepad or some kind of file, uh, and thinking, how do these come together? Uh, But in terms of working on the passage itself, um, I tend to uh, always print the entire passage from top to bottom on my page and start just by exegeting it, um, you know, good standard homiletic practice uh, and working my way through the text from the first verse to the last uh, and making sure that I've got a good grip on what it's saying. Um, and as I uh, do that, uh, then I'll start bringing in all of those thoughts I've had along the way. And particularly when we're preaching to uh, you know, a, a church of people who are shepherding, who are pastoring, um, I'm trying to think, how is this right for this moment in the life of the church? Uh, and those are the points that might come to the fore. So when you go to print out that passage that you're going to be working through, are there certain formatting approaches that you take to that even, just that serve your exegesis and, and study of the text? Yeah, I, I tend to, I know lots of people will um break a text down by its uh, the kind of sentence diagramming and that kind of thing. I tend not to go that far in my regular preaching, uh, but I do just lay it out um, uh, in terms of um, by verse. So 
every line will be a verse, uh, run that down the page. And I just want to make sure I do that just so I can make sure I can step through every verse. Uh, I'm, as I said before, I'm really committed to not just the content of the text, but also the form of the text. So I want to follow the movement, not just extract a couple of kind of juicy bullet points of doctrine, but ask what is the flow of this, this passage? Um, what's the movement of this text? So I've got to read it from top to bottom to do that. And why would you say that's important to do? Uh, get at that. Explain that a little bit more of why the form of the text, the movement of the text is valuable beyond just, I don't know, summarizing the meaning of the application today. Yeah, I, I think the answer to that is uh, because that's the way God gave it to us. Um, you know, we, we've got uh, kind of a, a tradition in some evangelical circles of looking at passages of Scripture and feeling like um, this is a, a kind of a repository for doctrine and uh, God has kind of buried some doctrine in amongst this narrative or this poetry or whatever it is, and my job is to strip away the narrative and the poetry and find the doctrine and tell people the doctrine. Um, and, and I just don't think that's the way the Bible works. You know, I think God gave us the scriptures in their f the form he did because that form is vitally important to their message. Um, you, you cannot communicate the truths of poetry, uh, the truths that are held within poetry, if you strip the poetry away. Um, you can't capture... Uh, the force of a narrative if you take the narrative away. So uh, I, I think that the form of the text that we have in the scriptures is not by accident. Uh, it's God-given. And God knows that the best way for us to hear, uh, you know, a, a message about the end times and all that sort of stuff is through the apocalyptic genre. So we need to respect that genre rather than just decode it, toss it to the side and, and pluck the doctrine out of it. Maybe taking a step back to something you said a little bit earlier, you, you mentioned that you will often, back when you were preaching regularly in the context of the local church as a pastor, you would kind of have uh, a plan a year out or so. Does that mean that you had broken down a, a book of Scripture into every week that you were going to be preaching through that, and you could kind of say, oh yeah, I know on week uh, 14 I'll be in this passage in particular, or are you, or is it more vague or fluid than that? Uh, kind of, how did you approach planning out the whole series? Yeah, uh, I mean, in answer to the question, uh, yes, I did really. Uh, I would know pretty much twelve months out to the week what the preaching passage would be, and uh, that's a reflection again of my uh, view that we need to be really working hard to communicate as much of the scriptures as possible to our people, and we won't do that without a clear plan. Uh, intentions are great, but um, plans always trump intentions, uh, I read somewhere recently. I think that's very true. So, yeah, what I'll do is add in a really significant part of um, sermon prep, which is that kind of high-level, long-range planning step. Uh, and that's a step that takes some time. You know, it might take a couple of days. Uh, so, you know, for example, you might sit in whatever it is, say October, uh, and you think, well, as I look at my preaching program, it runs for the next 12 months, uh, but I want to start planning the six months beyond that now. So I'm going to take a couple of days out of my schedule. Maybe I'm going to go away. I'm going to have some time where I can really get my head into this. And I'm going to start mapping out what the sermons will be for the six months 
beyond the end of the current preaching program. Um, and I might do this every six months, you know. So once I'm back down to only having 12 months before me mapped out, I'll map out the six months after that again. And that, yeah, that will take time. That'll mean not only being very uh, judicious about which books of the Bible we're going to preach. Uh, I'm always preaching through books of the Bible from start to finish uh, and always being committed to every chapter and verse, not just cherry-picking exciting passages. Uh, then we take those books and we start thinking, well, how many sermons would you need to preach this book? Uh, is that is that one series of sermons, or perhaps that many sermons is several series of sermons that will be preached uh, in succession? Um, yeah, but that's a really big part of it, uh, and I think that it does take time. Um, it does take concentration. It means you have to do a lot of book level work, and you've got to do it with long range eyes because it's very easy to think. Uh, look, next October or next April or whatever it is down the track, that's too far away to worry about. Um, who knows what's going to be happening then? Um, I'll just worry about that when I get to it. Uh, and I understand that because pastoral ministry is always full of unexpected things as we care for people in all the different rhythms and seasons of their lives. Uh, but nonetheless, I think if we want to be really um, responsible in the duty of feeding people on the Word of God, then we will have that long-range vision, and we will be starting to plan things out well in advance of actually preparing next week's sermon. Yeah, that's uh, that's so that's so interesting and helpful. Uh, one question that came to my mind related to holidays or other special calendar events. You know, when you're planning stuff that far out, are you? adding in there weeks where you're going to preach a sermon that's not maybe part of the the typical series, but it's going to be a Christmas sermon of some sort? Or how would you approach those kinds of special events? What I've tried to do, and, and it is difficult, is try to craft the shape of the preaching program so that the book of the Bible we're teaching through uh, will bring us to an appropriate passage of Scripture uh, for those holiday events. Uh, so, you know, the obvious thing is, well, you try to make sure that you're preaching the beginning of um, Matthew or Luke at Christmas time. But I, I think you can't do that every year if your goal is to preach, uh, preach your people through all different parts of the Bible. Uh, and if, you know, you're not just going to preach the same sermon every year. Um, so what other parts of the scriptures speak powerfully to the incarnation of Jesus? Well, I think a lot of them do. Uh, and can we bring our preaching programs to a place where those will be the passages that we are naturally reaching as we preach through our sermon series? Now, I remember a few years ago, for example, uh, at Easter, uh, I'd worked it out so that we'd be preaching through the book of Joel. Uh, and now I, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly how the sermons broke down in Joel, but it worked out neatly that we were able to have our... Uh, Easter Friday and our Easter Sunday sermons um, line up with the text of the book of Joel. And, you know, you can preach the cross from Joel uh, and you can preach the resurrection from Joel. Uh, and that's actually, I think, really exciting to the people of God as well, because when you do that, they realize, wow, not only uh, am I hearing you know amazing things about the history of God's people, but goodness me, so much of the Bible points to the Lord Jesus. You know, who would have thought you could see the cross 
in places beyond the passion narratives in the Gospels um, or beyond some of you know, Paul's letters. Uh, who would have thought you could see the incarnation in places other than the opening chapters of Matthew and Luke? So people get really excited, I think, that the scriptures are telling this whole grand story that regularly intersects with the message of Jesus. So what would you say to the, the pastor listening right now who hears all that, all that you're saying about the value of uh, planning stuff out that far in advance, but maybe he just really likes the flexibility of from week to week, um, he's, he's, maybe he's got a general plan, he's going to get through a certain book in about this many weeks, but from week to week he likes the flexibility of being able to choose exactly what passage he's in or you know, how far he goes in a certain passage. And, and doesn't really want to have to lock himself down too much that early. Uh, what would your response be to something like that? Yeah, well, look, I think in the first instance, I'm, you know, the, different people will do things different ways. And I think we always need to have some flexibilities, uh, even though I'm um, a strong advocate of lots of forward planning. You can't be completely rigid. Uh, there's, there's always times and seasons and reasons for having um, introducing flexibility and, and changing your plan. Uh, having said that, though, um, I guess what I'd want to say is I, I think it's okay so long as there really is a plan um, because I think pushing beyond the example you've given, uh, you do sometimes hear of pastors who, who don't really have a plan and the what they um, what they do is kind of celebrate the freedom and flexibility they have to not even know what they're preaching next week. Uh, that I'm not so comfortable with because I think feeding the flock of God is a, a really big responsibility and I think I don't want it to be done on the fly. So, uh, yeah, comfortable for there to be flexibility, comfortable to realize that there's a moment in the life of the church that says, hey, we've got to slow down a bit or we've just got to, we've got to address something else because that's where we're up to. Um, but I, I think I want to see flexibility within a plan rather than flexibility instead of a plan. As you think about uh, creating a sermon series and kind of sketching out what the plan is for that series, and you've talked a lot about expository preaching through a single book of the Bible, is there any room in your mind for topical series that maybe jump around to different passages throughout Scripture, but maybe it's all centered on a certain theme, a biblical theological theme, or a systematic theology theme uh, is there any room in your mind for that kind of a thing occasionally? The thing about topical sermons really is th there's a few issues I have. They're quite popular uh, in lots of churches, but uh, yeah, I, I personally find that um, they're very difficult to do well. <laughs> like to preach a good topical sermon, hmm. you have to be really strong. Um, so you, you have your topic, whatever it might be. Um, let's call it, oh, because everyone likes to preach topical sermons on engaging issues. Let's say it's about sex or sexuality or something like that. Uh, so you pick out your, your key passage on sex and sexuality, um, and that's okay. But if you do that, you're preaching that passage out of the context of the book in which it was written. And wherever you find that passage, God has not just given us that as a, a floating piece of scripture somewhere. He's given it in the context of a larger argument, a larger narrative, and we lose all that immediately. So you're decontextualizing the teaching. Uh, the other thing people do, as you said, is they jump from passage to passage to passage. Um, again, I find that uh, kind of unhelpful because how do you know you've got all the passages? 
Um, what made you choose this passage and not that passage? You know, why did you go for these three passages on, say, changing topic justification, but you didn't go to these other five passages on justification? So in all of that, I think what I'm saying is, in topical preaching, there is a massive risk of bias, whereby the preacher ends up teaching uh, their take on something that has all their own kind of history and biases and imbalances in it, which of course is true of any sermon we preach from any part of the scriptures, but I think far less likely if we're preaching expositorily through books of the Bible. Uh, when you when you preach a topical sermon, you're giving your people permission, as it were, to cherry pick the parts of the scripture that kind of resonate with the things they want to hear or the things they want to say, rather than the parts of the scriptures that come up next in the sequence of the scripture as God has given it to us. I'm struck by how even those that inclination towards expository preaching and uh, some of the rationale you just outlined, it does sort of reflect even more fundamentally something we already talked about, just uh, what is the nature of Scripture, the nature of scriptural revelation being not just a series of sort of disembodied doctrinal truths, but actually it's embedded in the forms of Scripture that actually carry significance. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's also another issue as well, apart from that that bias and decontextualization of the, the scriptures, you'll find that people in the church who hear mostly topical preaching, for example, they will learn doctrine, but they won't learn scripture. And uh, I think this is actually too common in our churches. Um, I reckon you could visit a lot of Bible-believing, evangelical, uh, you know, scriptural-focused churches and you could uh, survey people in the church and ask them doctrinal questions and get some pretty good answers. You know, like, how does, uh, how does Jesus uh, make us right with God? Well, you know, he, he died for our sins, uh, paid the price. Um, you could say to people, tell us the nature of Jesus. Well, he's fully man, he's fully God. Uh, you could say to people, what is the Bible? It's, oh, it's God, God's revealed word to us. I think you'd get a lot of good doctrine. But I also reckon if you went to the same people and you said, What's the high point of Mark's gospel? Uh, they might not know. Or what are the big movements in the book of Isaiah? Uh, they, they wouldn't have an answer. Or if you said, um, you know, what's the significance of the Ark of the Covenant in the book of Samuel? They'd say, I don't know. Uh, and I think that's revealing because it says we're teaching doctrine, but we're not teaching scripture. Uh, and, you know, again... Going back to our oft-repeated point now, God has given us the scriptures, and I think we need to be teaching them and learning them. So how would you describe the, the right balance between preaching through the Old Testament or sections of the Old Testament versus preaching through the New? I have a mentor, a very wise Christian man, who uh, taught me actually in my seminary back when I was a student. And uh, he was a great preacher, and he said, you know, the Old Testament is roughly three times the size of the New Testament, so we should preach the Old Testament three times as much as the New Testament. Um, he also said the Old Testament comes first, so we should really understand the Old Testament before we come to the New Testament. Now, I'm, I'm not sure I agree, and I think he was being just a little provocative in putting that out there, um, but it certainly is a challenge to the idea that Christians really just need to know the New Testament, and the Old Testament is, you know, at worst case, 
optional or just a kind of an interesting backstory. Um, we've got to believe that the whole Bible is the Word of God, uh, and the whole Bible is given to God's people for their good. Uh, and so we want to be preaching through the Old Testament pretty solidly. Um, I, I don't know uh, that I'm firmly fixed on exactly what the ratios would be, but I'm not entirely opposed to the idea of, you know, maybe it's two-thirds Old Testament, one-third New Testament. Um, that way I'm, I'm giving my people a balanced diet of Scripture. It means that uh, I'm, I've got a whole lot more Scripture that I'm thinking of preaching, which is excellent. Um, and it really means that I'll be filling out uh, far more fully their picture of God's work and the history of God's work in his world. And, and of course, you know, the Old Testament brings us to Jesus. You, you can't, as a New Testament believer, as a, a Christian who knows the scriptures, uh, you can't read the Old Testament without seeing that all of its momentum in various different ways uh, heads directly towards Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, as the Savior of the world. Um, as the one who comes in the line of David. So again and again, when you preach the Old Testament, it's not like you're leaving Jesus aside. Um, it, will, it will drive you to Jesus. It will drive you to his, his incarnation, to the atonement, to the resurrection. Um, that will happen regularly. I think actually the other thing is, if you're not really working hard to preach the Old Testament, your New Testament preaching will be not as strong either because, again, as everyone knows, the New Testament is just soaked in Old Testament. You know, when the New Testament documents were written, they were written to people with the presumption that those people were soaked in the Old Testament. So there's, you know, there's over two and a half thousand references back to the Old Testament in the New Testament uh, in one form or another. Uh, sometimes they're direct quotations, sometimes they're allusions. Uh, that means that you can't really get your teeth into the New Testament you can't really let the New Testament speak into your heart unless you're pretty familiar with the Old Testament. And that kind of raises then that broader question of Christ-centered preaching in the Old Testament or gospel-centered preaching. And uh, I think among certain reform circles these days, I think there's been a, a healthy, exciting resurgence of an emphasis on that, that kind of thing. Uh, but I think we've all probably experienced a sermon uh, in the Old Testament where it maybe seems like uh, that was a little, uh, went too far, or there's the common critique of finding Christ, you know, under every rock uh, in the Old Testament. So I wonder if you could, um, this is kind of a, a, maybe a funny little game here, but uh, maybe complete the sentence, Christ-centered preaching in the Old Testament is not blank. Christ-centered preaching in the Old Testament is not wooden, mechanical, um, simplistic, uh, or the same every time. How's that for a start? <laughs> so what do you mean by uh, wooden or mechanical? Well, I think sometimes um, our commitment to uh, seeing the unity of the Scriptures can lead us to leapfrog from passages in the Old Testament to key New Testament doctrines or New Testament passages in a way that really is artificial, where we haven't understood uh, the shape of the Old Testament book we're in, or how it rightly and naturally draws us, drives us towards Jesus. But we've just looked for the first 
uh, kind of opportunity we can have to kind of nail a New Testament text onto it. Um, or we or we pick a key word yeah. uh, that is maybe used again, not realizing that there's you know one is in Hebrew and one is in Greek, and they're not necessarily they're not necessarily the same concept even. Yeah, that's right. That that could be an example of exactly that thing uh, where there's a, a desperate need to get from whatever it is the end of Numbers to the cross of Christ, and so we just find a way. Um, and I think you know, to be honest, I think. Um, our congregations probably pick that up. They probably realize that we've just made a leap uh, and we're making that leap because of a noble commitment, which is a commitment to see Christ in all the scriptures. Uh, but maybe we haven't actually done enough work on the scriptures to show us how this part of the Old Testament uh, really does lead us towards Christ. So would you say that it's important to uh, clearly explain and proclaim the the gospel itself in every sermon, and if so, how would you do that in a passage of, of the Old Testament, say, that that really doesn't directly connect to the gospel in, in any clear, or to Jesus in any clear, direct way? Yeah, that's a good question, um, and it really depends what we mean by proclaim the gospel. Uh, I think that needs uh, careful thought and unpacking, um, and what I think it doesn't only mean is preaching the mechanics of the atonement. So I don't think that we can say uh, telling people that Jesus died for their sins and they need to repent is the only way the gospel can be preached. I think that's a fine thing to do, and I think we should be doing that regularly, but that may not be the fullness of gospel preaching. And you see this in the New Testament, of course, in the book of Acts, where they proclaim the resurrection uh, or the lordship of Christ as well. Uh, so I think what we want to be doing in every sermon, New Testament or Old, uh, is thinking about what are the gospel, perhaps the word is resonances, um, what are the key gospel ideas that are in this passage and how can we show that they are fulfilled in Jesus? So it might be, for example, that as we go through the the history of Israel in the books of Samuel and Kings and even Chronicles, uh, we're looking at the rulers of Israel, the kings of Israel. And that has great gospel resonance with Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King, Jesus as Messiah. Of course, Christ Messiah is the anointed one. It's language that picks up directly on Samuel's anointing of Saul and David. Uh, so Jesus is the fulfillment of the Israel's kingship and there's actually a gospel truth in the fact that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is Christ. Uh, you have to, at some point, of course, when you're helping people uh, come to helping people come to faith. Only the Spirit can do that. When you're helping people learn the faith, uh, you have to, of course, tell them about Jesus' death. You have to, of course, tell them about Jesus' resurrection. But his place as the Messiah who died and the Messiah who rose. Uh, is is really relevant. And so maybe what you're doing in these Old Testament passages is uh, picking up on that primary resonance, uh, say, as I've said in the book of Samuel or Kings, the primary resonance of Jesus as the king, and then hinting at some of the other gospel truths. Uh, what kind of king is he? You know, is this a king who uh, lives for himself? Is this a king who calls others to die for him? Uh, and there's, there's natural ways that you can 
expand those gospel truths without, again, just simply going straight through into a explanation of the mechanics of substitutionary atonement straight away. Hmm. That's so helpful, and it's such a, a nuanced way of viewing it and a helpful reminder that yeah, the gospel is this multifaceted thing, and uh, Christ's role as our Messiah is, is crucial to his work as Messiah, and so we need to keep that in mind. In saying that there are other uh, facets to the gospel, I, I think that's completely correct, but that never means we diminish things like the cross or the resurrection. Uh, it's it's a, a really important balance we have to hold as teachers of the word and pastors of people to be able to say uh, two things are true, not you're choosing between Christ's messiahship or Christ's death or something like that. And I, I think that sounds easy to say like this, but sometimes people mishear that and they feel if you're saying or putting a strong emphasis on one truth that you're thereby marginalizing the other truth. Uh, and so again, we need to be able to uh, do both things at once, emphasize a different truth about Jesus and a different truth about the gospel without for half a second saying that uh, other truths uh, are also just as important. Uh, it, it's a fuller, thicker, and a, a longer-range project of discipling people in the faith. Maybe as a last couple of questions, uh, I'd love for you to speak to speak a word of encouragement to two types of people, the first being... Uh, the pastor who's feeling discouraged in his preaching. Maybe he has been laboring in his preaching for years now, and just for whatever reason, uh, maybe it feels like it doesn't come naturally to him, or it just feels like it's become this burden that hangs over him every week, or he feels like his, his people aren't responding, it doesn't seem to make a difference in anyone's lives, or he's gotten some negative feedback from somebody about it. What word of encouragement would you offer to him? And then on the on the flip side, what word of encouragement would you offer to the, the Christian sitting in the pew who maybe feels, for whatever reason, like the preaching in his church just isn't, isn't what he wishes it was? It's, it's, uh, maybe it feels overly technical sometimes or disconnected from, from his own life. Maybe the, the pastor struggles to make those applications that feel relevant and helpful or is quite long-winded on a regular basis, not just occasionally. Uh, what what word of encouragement would you offer to that person? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the big encouragement is that uh, we need to persist in the Word of God. And what we're not looking for is uh, a whole lot necessarily of spectacular or emotionally significant moments. Um, there's no reason that they might not happen, and praise God if they do. But actually, the Christian life is. Uh, one where we uh, are committed to a discipline of sitting under the word uh, and the discipline of living out that word, um, not where we're committed to getting a certain feeling from either teaching or listening to the word. Now, that's a, that's a kind of a baseline truth. And I guess I'm saying that because what I don't want the pastor to do is to look for something else other than the scriptures to you know liven up their preaching. Um, however hard it is and however um, difficult you find the, the preparation of the sermon and however little feedback you're getting from the congregation, uh, the solution is not, look, let's park the Bible to the side and um, inject something else into the church that hopefully will, will be more stimulating, more exciting. Um, now, I think pastors need to be able to hear feedback, and I think all of us have weaknesses um, in our preaching, uh, and so, you know, the pastor needs to be 
um, not offended or uh, precious if a congregation does say, look, you know, you need to work on some aspect of your preaching. Um, take that as a, a great opportunity to, to keep growing in that skill of uh, expositing the word and uh, applying the word, uh, feeding the flock of God uh, that you've been entrusted with. Um, and so, you know, maybe they'll, they'll need to be that work. But uh, continue on, and again, picking up on something that we've been saying uh, in this conversation, um, if you're not preaching through different parts of the scripture, uh, that might be a great thing to do. Um, I, I have to say, I, I know uh, from personal um, experience, uh, a friend of mine uh, has related a, um, a situation in his church where he feels that the pastor continues to go back to the same texts and the same doctrines uh, week in, week out. Um, and I think, well, perhaps a great thing for that pastor to do would be to move to some different parts of the scriptures, preach through more of the Old Testament, um, preach through uh, those um, perhaps poetic books or parts of the scriptures that you haven't been feeding the flock because it might be that part of what's going on is the people feel like, I've heard this already. Um, we've, we've eaten this meal. Uh, and you want to say, actually, the diet of scripture is rich and full and varied. Uh, and so you might have a chance to think about um, uh, bringing more of that to the people of God. It might be hard work, but, you know, that, that's part of the job. Preaching is not, is not necessarily meant to be easy. Uh, it's meant to be faithful, and that might be hard work. Uh, to the person in the pew, um, I'd say uh, it's, it's okay to offer the pastor some feedback, um, but please don't be comparing your pastor to someone you heard on the internet uh, or to some great you know, hero of the pulpit or some conference speaker who, um, who lit up an event uh, however long ago. Um, the, the difference is that uh, it's often easy to do that one-off big event sermon because you polish it and practice it and it's a set piece. Um, but what your pastor's trying to do is uh, pastor you from the pulpit as well, not just teach you, not just dazzle you with their rhetoric, but to continually feed you, to continually bring out that meal of scripture for you week in, week out. Uh, and again, you might not feel that it's the most exciting, you might not feel like it, uh, it, it lights you up, uh, but please appreciate it for what it is. Uh, it's the word of God being spoken and explained. And uh, it might be that you could imagine the form of that word of God being more exciting. But the real point is what's happening with the substance of that word? Uh, are you letting that word transform you? Are you receiving it as the word of God to you for your growth, for your maturity, uh, so that you grow into someone who brings more glory to Jesus? Or are you, are you stuck on looking at the medium and the way that it comes to you uh, and therefore not allowing that word to do its work in your heart? Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking some time today to speak with us on the Crossway podcast and, and share some of your own experience as a preacher of God's word, uh, thinking about sermons and sermon series and all the planning that goes into that. Uh, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts. No, it's been a great pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much, man. That was Tim Patrick on planning your next sermon series. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, The Whole Counsel of God, Why and How to Preach the Entire Bible, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. 
If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.